I invite you to either, if you're not with us worshiping on your phone, you might take your phone or you might look around the room that you're in and find the Bible because you're going to want to look at or at least get a sense of the first chapter of Matthew. The first chapter of Matthew. Matthew 1, 1 to 25. I'm not going to read the entire first part of it. I'm going to reference it later in the message, but I'm not going to read the entire first part of it. But it begins this way. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes through all the generations from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon, from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah. And as it gets to the end, it says this, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged or betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. But he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named that son Jesus. Here ends the reading. Well, it's beginning to look a lot yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like Christmas in many places. If you drive down, say, Cary Street in Cary Town, if you, if you go out to the shopping malls, you'll see that the decorations have all been put up. I know that on some of your homes, you probably already have lights up, and in some, inside of some of your homes, you probably already have your tree put together. And for some people, that has been just a refreshing time to look forward, to feel like maybe some things are, whatever this word means, normal. But I don't know about you, and I've said this many times throughout this year, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it. 
When I woke up on Thanksgiving morning, I, I said to my family, it doesn't feel like Thanksgiving. There's just something in the air almost that just, that just feels different. And, and I think we should acknowledge that. We should think about that because sometimes it does feel like we're, we're in this very strange time in our lives that feels very different than, than any other time in our lives before where there, there's so much that is uncertain. I mean, especially again this year, and I know I talk about this a lot, but, but with social unrest and with political unrest, it, it, just, it just felt like the world, our world, might just come to bits. But it's happened before. <laughs> People have been in trouble before. There have been pandemics before. I say this over and over again. But what's interesting is then you go into these scriptures, especially the Isaiah one, and what's happening there is in the days of Ahaz, they're about ready to get taken over. The tribes of Israel have been split. One tribe is, is aligning themselves with one a set of other folks outside of the covenant. The other one is fearful about being taken over, and Ahaz is the one who is the leader. And so Isaiah comes, and the Lord speaks to Ahaz and says, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. You know, ask for a sign that everything's going to be okay. And Ahaz says, I won't ask. I'm not going to test the Lord in the commentaries on this, they talk about how it seems like this is saying that Ahaz didn't trust God. I'm not going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to trouble the Lord because I just don't believe that the Lord will do anything. And so instead, Ahaz trusted in the powers that be because what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're fearful? What do you do when you're scared? You do whatever you can to protect yourself or what you think will protect yourself. You live into the fear of what you think is coming and fear tells us to build walls, to check the locks, to buy security cameras. Have you noticed all the ads for security systems these days? Wow. Fear tells us to buy more guns, make sure we have plenty of ammunition, to lash out at any sign of trouble to make allegiances for protection, to hide, to fight, to win at all costs. And that's our fear speaking. Ahaz had this kind of fear. And so what does he do? He he aligns himself with Assyria. That's not in the scripture, but he aligns himself with Assyria. And the Assyrians end up later crushing them, taking over everything. In one of the many times that (laughs) this happens to the Israelites. He makes an allegiance. He doesn't trust God. But what's so amazing is in this scripture passage is then the basis for talking about Mary and the child that she is to bear is it says, well, you're not asking for a sign. I'll give you a sign. Not an army that's going to show up. Not the sun being, you know, overshadowed by the moon or something. Not plagues, not storms, but a young woman 
will conceive and will bear a child. And that child will be named God is with us. Hmm. A child as a sign from God. A child defenseless, needing to be nurtured and protected. Right? All of those things that then that then come into this story about the account, and I love this, and, and you, you wouldn't know this unless you get in behind the language, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And just remember, the Messiah for Jews was not, was not some supernatural figure, okay? For them, not some supernatural figure, not a son of God, yes, but they thought many people were sons of God as they thought about it in that way. An account of the genealogy, which it comes from the Greek word, which would go back to the Hebrew word Genesis. An account of the Genesis of Jesus the Messiah. Now, Matthew's audience would have known the Hebrew scriptures because it's a primarily Jewish audience. It's a little bit mixed, we think, but they would have known the Hebrew scriptures. So when they hear this in Greek, they're hearkening back to what they know of in their Hebrew tongue as the Genesis and the Genesis story. This connects it back to the beginning of all things. It connects it back to God, the creator, Yahweh. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is all very important because these figures, these people, for them are very real people, even though it was generations and generations and generations ago. I mean, some of us have stories about those pioneers that came over from wherever they came over from, you know, from countries in Africa, from countries in Europe, maybe from countries in Asia who came over to a new land for the first time. We have stories about them that came and they are those progenitors of us. They're those ancestors of ours that that we lift up and we say, man, we wouldn't be here if this person hadn't done this. Abraham. And then, of course, the son of David, David, the great king. And of course, the Messiah was supposed to be a son of David. So they begin to connect this all up. And what's so fascinating about the genealogy is that it starts to talk. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Da-da-da, the father of so-and-so. So, father of so-and-so. Father of so-and-so. And then all of a sudden, at least in some of these, it drops in Women, Ruth. (laughs) So it doesn't just go, it goes against the tradition of just naming the fathers to the sons and the fathers to the sons. It drops in these women who were not necessarily in the covenant as progenitors, as ancestors of the one who we would come to know as the Messiah. And then it comes down as we get closer then Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. And it doesn't say what? Joseph, the... doesn't say Joseph, the father of Jesus. It says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born the one called the Messiah. Joseph 
doesn't father Jesus. Think about that and if we can think about that time, and you've probably heard many sermons about this, about, about that time, about one, about the great import there is on fathering children to extend your line. And think about Joseph as being in the line of David. He needs to father a son to continue the line of David. And he finds out that Mary is pregnant and they're betrothed, which means they're engaged. They will be married. They have no marital relations, as they say very nicely here in this scripture during that time. But she's pregnant. He finds out that she's pregnant or she tells him we don't really know. And so he's a righteous man, it says. And I love this scripture because part of it is it's righteous as we think about the word righteous. But part of the translation could be one who is such as he ought to be. That a righteous person is not necessarily some shining example of everything, but one who just lives into what they ought to be. I love that idea about Joseph. Just, he just is who he is and as he ought to be in relationship with God. He's unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. He could. He could publicly disgrace her. She would never have a life again. She'd probably be forced into either prostitution or slavery Her child would probably become a slave. These are options open to him, but he decides, no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to do this very quietly. I'll try to give her some sort of life. But just when he resolves to do that, then he, he has this dream. I mean, the angel doesn't come to him when he's fully awake. He has a vision, basically. He has a dream and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't live into the fear of protecting yourself, of building the wall, of hiding, of fighting, of winning at all costs. Don't don't live into that. Don't be afraid. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't father Jesus. He adopts him. Just think about that for a moment. Because Jesus will become a refugee. He's also an adopted child. We come to know him as the son of God. We come to know him as the Messiah. But out of Joseph's being righteous, I think, that he is who he ought to be, his, his trust and love for God and this angelic messenger comes and says, don't be afraid. Joseph trusts and loves God in a way that Ahaz did not. Joseph doesn't batten down the hatches, doesn't hide her away. He adopts the son and he names him Jesus which is off of the Hebrew Joshua, which is in relationship to salvation. Every time somebody heard the word Joshua, they thought about the salvation of God. Name him Jesus or Joshua because he will save his people from their sin. This recounting is not about the birth of Jesus, but it is about the one being born. God's sign in this case, again, is a child. And this child is born out of the love of the Trinity for its creation. God, the parent, 
the Father, we call God Father, we call God Mother, we call God Father Creator, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Create out of love for us. That we might know love, we might know what it is when we trust God in such a way that we are able to believe in it, to do the hard things. God says, if you cannot hear my message, I'm going to have you see my message. See it. And I'll tell you, I've seen God's message in the last couple of weeks. I saw it in the way that we as a church helped to support our Afram brothers and sisters in the faith and that they, you know, they've had a hard time. Many of them lost jobs, have struggled to pay rent and keep food. Some of them have, have suffered like many of us had with illnesses of children and, and all kinds of things going on in their lives. But what did they do? They, they put together 120 meals for Thanksgiving for families. We got to be a part of that. Just this week, one of our members fell and devastatingly broke bones. Will probably be out of work for some time and needs a ramp built. And so I reached out to four or five of the sort of the handy group in the congregation and just said, hey, is this something that we can do? I mean, can somebody look into this? And man, within two hours... Within two hours, people were researching, well, can we do this? What's the liability? Should we build a permanent ramp? Should we help them to have a temporary one? What do they really need? All this sort of thing. And now we have all these plans are starting to come together. Because those folks didn't go, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, because we might, I might have to be around other people and we have to worry about that. And, and we're so scared of the liability and this, that. No, let's look into this. Let's live into this. We're going to trust They probably didn't think about this, but we're going to trust God that God is in this and this is a person in need and we want to help those who are in need because we're not going to be afraid. We can give generously of ourselves. I've seen the signs of God. And so I invite you to believe in love, in God's love for you, in the love that flows through us to love our neighbor and in the way that we can love ourselves to become those who believe in love and not live in fear. So may you love in a way that nurtures everyone's future. May you believe in God and may you believe in love. Amen.